You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. We don't see treasure as a tool to serve. We see it as something we just need to take. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. Good morning. It's so good to be back home. Man, I have missed everybody. So good to be back. What a privilege to be here this morning. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was gone. I was speaking at a young adult retreat. And then this past Sunday at a missions trip down in Panama with a team of nine others. Uh, Catherine was there. Thelma was there. Brenna was there. Uh, Daniel Abbey, my wife, was there. Didi was there. There was nine of us. We just had an amazing, amazing trip. I mean, it was one of those trips that will rip your heart out in a good kind of way. It just messes with you in all the right kind of ways that we all kind of need to be messed with, kind of need our world turned upside down. And it was just so cool to see everybody from Southridge where we have this heart where we care so much about telling people about Jesus, but it was neat that we were able to do that in a third world country in Panama for a week. And so super good. You're going to hear a lot more stories. I would have loved to talk today about Panama and all that God did, but we're going to save that because we had such a great trip and God did so many amazing things that we planned an entire Sunday to just focus on that because I believe our church needs to go back for a couple more weeks. And so we're planning that. And we loved the host missionary who is our host slash tour guide slash inspirational coach slash just uh, just amazing person. And he grew up in or his career was for Enterprise Rental Car Company. And about 10 years ago, God called him to the mission field in the country of Panama. And so he's from Georgia, and but now he lives in Panama. And uh, he was just fell in love with the people. And in Panama, when you greet somebody, you give them a big hug and uh, you give them a kiss on the cheek. And it just so everywhere we went in the city, he was just hugging and giving people a kiss on the cheek. Just amazing, amazing uh, missionary and so I asked him, hey, are you ever going to be in California? He said he's going to be in California on, in October. And so I invited him to come on the 26th to share more about the country of Panama, what God's doing there. And so we'll make that day a special day. We'll see videos and stuff. We'll share a little bit today. But just an amazing time with that group and what God did over there. Well, we're in a series entitled More. And I had... Really inconsistent Wi-Fi. So yesterday, finally, when we landed in Atlanta, I was able to listen to uh, Adam's message, and it was just so good. I'm just sitting there, and I was just getting fired up as I was listening to him, and then uh, listening to uh, Miss Al's message. And I just was Jane was sitting there trying to take a nap, and I was like, "Wake up! You got to listen to this. this. is so good, just so good. I love the content. I love what God was sharing." And uh, I was almost like, "Man, this is this is this, they've done such a good job. I want them to keep coming back." Because I'm like, this is great. So what a privilege just to have heard their messages and just to see everybody helping cover while we were away so that we can go and minister. Well, let's continue our series and let's go to the book of 2 Samuel, chapter number 12. We're in a series entitled More. And the first week we looked at earning more. And I got two really good takeaways from that message. And the biggest one is God is not the treasure map. He's the treasure 
And that resonated with me. You say, why? Because we were just in Panama, which in Panama is this gateway from the Caribbean to the Pacific. And so you would have all this import, export coming through there. So there's a lot of pirates, a lot of treasure. And we were at some cool spots where Captain Morgan tried to burn the city down because he wanted the gold. And so when we talk about treasure and treasure maps, this resonated with me because we could just kind of picture it. And then so we get there and... It's neat to be reminded that too often we look at God as our treasure map. And we kind of pray that way, don't we? We're kind of like, God, give me a promotion. Hey, God, uh, allow me to get the right job. And those aren't wrong things, but we kind of treat God as the treasure map when he is the treasure. The word says, but seek first the kingdom of God. And, and, and that was such a strong, important reminder when we talk about finances. And it's a touchy, touchy subject when we start talking about money. It's difficult. There's a lot of emotions tied to it because most of our uh, arguments in relationships, in marriage, with other people has to do with money. We were in a third world country, and it, it at times didn't feel like a third world country because they steward their money so well, whereas other country in Central and South America don't steward the money. There's corruption because why? The money corrupts. But there you saw how, how they were properly stewarding the money. And we see that God is our treasure, that we seek him. So when I heard that, I was just blown away by it. And then I love this one. He said, uh, when it comes to God, it's not how much of God, and, and he asked this question, how much of God's money am I going to keep? And I, I just love that. They're so good. And then week two, we saw that when Miss O was preaching, when he was talking about saving more, which I didn't like the whole save more. I was like, let's spend more. Where's that message? Spend more. I'm waiting. Come back next week or something. Maybe that's when he'll come back and talk about spend more. And I love it. He said, we want eternal fulfillment, but we use temporary things. And I was like, wow. That just hits home. And then we were, uh, I love this one, how we laid it out. He said, think more eternally, live more simply, and give more generously. And he just kind of left it there. And I love how he said, let's give more generously because that's what we're going to kind of dovetail right into this week as we talk about giving more generously. And we want to look at this morning at God's worldview on wealth. God has a worldview on wealth. God has a plan for your wealth. Uh, we just came from a third world country that at times, like I said, uh, we're just beautiful there's some beautiful uh, buildings that they've built. There's just all kinds of neat things to see the canal. Some of you may have been on a cruise ship. So there's some beautiful parts. But then there's some parts where it's so poor. And you're just, you're just amazed. And it, and it just kind of breaks your heart. And it tugs at your heartstrings, the people that live there. So we saw the extremes of it. But God has a worldview on money. And you say, what do you mean God's worldview on money? You see, money is a tool not a treasure. In God's economy, money is a tool, not a treasure. You see, that's where we need to, to keep diving down in that thought because too often we look at, hey, I need to have more stocks. I need to have uh, more real estate. And those things aren't wrong to have, but yet we can make those our focus and we can forget why we have wealth. And, and many people will come and say, hey, did you guys feel guilty that you would go to an orphanage and then you would go to another place and you would eat at a restaurant? And I said, no, and here's why. Let me explain it to you. Because we go to that restaurant and that restaurant is there and they get a lot of their dollars from tourists and those places pay a little bit better. And so what happens is I'm stimulating their economy 
And so it's helping them, help them to buy more. It's a trickle-down economics. So do you feel guilty? Yes, it tugs at my heart when I see that. But at the same time, I'm helping. Every dollar we invest in that country is helping the development of that country. And we need to see our, our resources, our treasure, as our, our resources as a tool and not a treasure. And when we see it as a tool, now we know it, it's supposed to be used, it's useful for something. Uh, many times we, we miss what Scripture says. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. But when it comes to money, could it be that our problem is not a money problem? You say, well, this message doesn't apply to me because I'm struggling financially. And I know we live in the Silicon Valley, which we have what's happening is the middle class is being squeezed, right? And so you're getting this ultra-rich and this ultra-poor where the middle class, you're feeling all the strain. It's very expensive. You're trying to put your kid in a good school. You're trying to make sure that you keep the cars running. You're trying to pay the mortgage. You're trying to pay the rent. You're trying to, you know, make sure there's some healthy food on the table. And I, and I don't get how Whole Foods is organic and it costs more, but then I can go to somewhere else and I can get some processed food and it's super cheap. I just, I don't get that, right? You'd think, hey, that, that should be cheaper, but it's more expensive, you know, and it's more expensive to be healthy and uh, it, it's difficult. It's difficult. And so you're struggling with that. But could it be... That when it comes to money problems, it's two parts to it. That there's the management side of money, but then there's the mindset side of money. Sometimes we struggle with the management side, don't we? We struggle managing our money. Uh, you ever had where there's not enough money and too much month? We're like, I don't know how I'm going to stretch this. Uh, we got two more weeks, but we ain't got two more paychecks. You know, I'm like, how are we going to make this work? And then you start praying, and you start asking God to, to come through. And so what happens there is, is it a mindset problem or is it a management problem? I'll tell you today, uh, we worked with some homeless over in Panama, and they have no resources for homeless people. There is zero resources so every homeless person works a job during the day and all of a sudden I just wanted to say a good amen when I heard that when the guy was telling me that they all work a job he's like yeah anybody who's selling something on the street is homeless and they have to work because there's zero government there's no soup kitchens there's no shelters that they can stay at so they have to work a job if they're going to exist and survive whereas here in the Bay Area we have so many services and so many things to help and yet we have this rampant problem right and so when, when it comes to uh, certain times, it's a mindset problem. And I think that's the biggest one. We just, if I were to ask a question, how many of you feel rich? We would all think, no, I don't really, I don't really feel rich. I don't, I don't feel like I'm a rich person. And you know what? A lot of it has to do with our mindset. Now, I just came back from a third world country. All of a sudden, I feel very rich. I feel very rich. Why? Because I just left a third world country. And in that country of Panama, they won't leave the country. They said, they are looking at you like you're so wealthy because they won't ever leave. And their country is the size of North Carolina, South Carolina, small country, 4 million people. And they said they won't ever leave. They won't get a visa. They won't, they, and so the airport is really easy to navigate their airport because nobody there, you know. So it's just like they have nobody at the airport. They don't go anywhere. And so they just stay there. They just don't let you take your coffee in the waiting area, which is like, oh, you know, we spent $8 on coffee. And we can't, another one, never mind. <laughs> Stimulating their economy, bless them, you know. So, and, uh, but it's one of those things where uh, when it came to being a part of their country, they, they, they open your eyes. Going somewhere else, you open your eyes. And now the mindset's changed. Now I feel rich. But then, let's say this afternoon I go to a car lot. All of a sudden I'm not going to feel rich. Why? Because I'm going to see all the new models. So when it comes to being rich, it's oftentimes a mindset. 
And so let's look at that and let's dive into it. I know that's a long introduction. And so if it takes me a while to get ramped up to get going, you bear with me because we got in late and I'm a little bit jet lagged, but that's okay. You, we'll, we'll keep up. And so we're looking at management and a mindset of hand, how do we steward our resources. And so in the scripture, 2 Samuel chapter number 12, here we see a story of a preacher by the name of Nathan the prophet. He's going to confront King David because King David had done something. You say, what did King David do? King David uh, had a wife. He had um, in that day a harem. I mean, but he sees this woman named Bathsheba. And man, he really wanted to be with Bathsheba. And my wife taught an amazing message on Mother's Day about what really happened. And he basically abused his power and took advantage of Bathsheba, okay? And so for a year, he's kind of dealing with that, but he's never, he's never confessing. He's never dealing with that unresolved sin in his heart. It's there, but for a year has gone by. So finally, that's where we're coming to. That David has not dealt with the situation. He's not confessed before God. He hasn't uh, said, hey, I did wrong there. Because when he went and slept with Bathsheba, he also had Bathsheba's husband murdered in the process. And so all this stuff has happened, but David hasn't dealt with it. So now we come to 2 Samuel. And I want you to notice some really powerful truths of this, in this passage. The Bible says this, verse 1. So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled in his arms like a baby daughter. One day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal for his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. David was furious. And as surely, and this is what David said. David says, oh, I can't believe somebody would do it. He says, as surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, and any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. David's just upset. He's angry. And in this passage, maybe you're not getting the emotional connection to a lamb. But back then, they didn't have a dog or a cat. All right, whatever your animal of choice is. If you like cats, you're at the wrong church. No, just kidding. Uh, but this is a dog church, okay? We like puppies and we like dogs, okay? All right? And uh, so, uh, but it, you say, I just don't get the connection. Well, in that day and age, I mean, the connection would have been a sheep, a lamb. And so here's this family. They have this one little lamb. And this owner who has tons of lambs, but he's greedy. So he takes. And so David's like, who is this guy? David's mad. He's upset. He's like, hey, I'm going to execute justice. And notice what Nathan does. David said he must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel, says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdom of Israel and Judah. And notice this. This is powerful, church. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much. What's the last word? Wow. Wow. I think that's where we find ourselves. David had everything. And Nathan even said, David. God gave you everything you wanted. And if it wouldn't have been enough, you could have asked God. And God would have given you not just more, but much, much 
more. But instead, David, you did something. Something happened in your heart, and it happens in our heart in the pursuit of more. We let something happen, and it's called a word called covetousness. You say, what do you mean to covet? You see something, and man, you desire it with all your heart. You could say you lust after it. It's seeing that car that you're like, I've got to have that. It's seeing something that somebody else has, their influence, their status, their significance. And that's all you can think about. It obsess, you're obsessed with it. David was obsessed with Bathsheba, and he had to have her. And it wasn't enough that he had so much else. You see, here's what can easily happen to us is we don't understand that God wants to give us the more. Can you just, can you just accept that, that God does want to bless you? He does want to pour out the more. But he doesn't want you to allow to covet, covetousness to get into your heart to mess up the more. Because God can give you more. God has no problem. That's what he's trying to say. And here's the deal. God can handle giving you more. I hope you know that. God can handle giving you more. It's not a problem for God to give you the job, God to give you the raise, God to bless you with a family, God to give you more. All you need, God can handle giving you more. The question is, can you handle more? That's the question. Can you handle it? Because you've met the boss. As soon as they got promoted, they were a great guy, great woman. As soon as they got promoted, something changed in their head, their attitude. They thought they were too good for you. Maybe you had a relative. That as soon as some money, as soon as some influence, as soon as some power, as soon as they got a new car, as soon as they started dressing different, as soon as they got with him, got with her, something about him started to change. What had happened in their heart? You see, God can give you more, but can you handle the more? Can you guard your heart from not having to covet? Can you guard your heart as God says, I'm going to bless you, but can you stay the same person? Can you keep living a way that says, you know what, God, you're going to keep blessing me and keep pouring to me. But God, help me to continue to be kind and generous and giving and loving and serving. Bill Gates once went to Africa once he had left Microsoft. And when he went to Africa, he went into the, a poor hut. And a journalist had followed him. And they were doing his story because he started to do a lot of philanthropic uh, ventures. And so he was in this little, little tiny hut. And then after Bill Gates left, one of the most wealthiest people in the world left, the journalist looked at the woman and through the translator said, do you realize that Bill Gates, one of the wealthiest people in the world, was just in your hut? And she said, everybody is wealthier than I am. She put them all in the same category. She said, it doesn't matter if you're Bill Gates. Everybody's wealthier than I am. Look at what I have. Look at what I have. You see, God can pour out the more, but what happens is our mindset. Our mindset needs to be, I have so much. What if David would have just said, you know what? I've got my wives. I've got a couple over here. Why, why do I need more, okay? Uh, I'm, I'm thinking about David. I have one, and I, and I struggle always being the best type of husband for one. I was like, you're trying to bring more into your house? Trying to double and triple your problems? Not that my wife is ever, ever a problem. She's a sweet angel. Don't get any hints. I mean, it's always me. And it really is usually me. But I'm just like, David, you didn't think this one through, all right? You need to be a little bit wiser about this. You see, God can handle giving us more, but can you and I handle it? You see, what's so amazing is in verse 10, Nathan even says, hey, David, guess what? This is what Nathan said. From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking your eyes wife to be your own. Nathan says, hey, David, you did that with impunity. You did it, and you knew. You just thought, I can get away with anything. 
Because that covetousness has so warped your heart. And, and, and it's so it changed David. Where David thought, I'm invincible. I can do whatever I want now. I'm the king. I can take whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. He had allowed power to corrupt him. He allowed it to change him. And so instead of saying, hey, I need to stay the same person, he couldn't handle the more that God had already given him. He said, i got to keep taking, keep taking. And it's going to cost him. And so David, in this passage, Nathan is coming to David and saying, hey, David, guess what? It's your covetousness. It's your desire to acquire. It's that, that, that need for greed that's destroying you, David. And it did. This moment forever marks David's life. You say, how? Notice in the passage, David said, hey, whoever did this sin, he should pay fourfold. Four lambs he should give up, right? And he should die, which is interesting. Why would you kill a person and then still take their sheep? It's just interesting, right? But David's four children were killed. David named his own sentence. Bathsheba's baby, the first one, it died. Amnon, he died. And then he had two other children that both all died. David declared his own sentence, and he had to carry it out. So don't think that, oh, this will never affect me. You see, when we don't understand that, guess what, treasure is a tool, then guess what? We will start doing things and living in a way that will set us up for horrible failure. And so we need to guard against covetousness. So would you write this now? Would you write, let's caution against coveting? We just need a caution. That's what Nathan is doing. He's speaking to us through the pages of God's word. He's saying, hey, I want to caution you against coveting. I want to caution you this morning. Hey, we are coming up to Christmas season. Can you believe it? I mean, I know Halloween decorations are up, and our kids are going to start coveting candy. But, I mean, already Christmas is coming up, so you know what's going to start happening. You're going to start getting that Christmas mode, and your kids are going to start saying, hey, I want this, or I got to have this, or the new iPhone. I talked to Isaac. He said it shipped out on Tuesday, you know, so some of us are like, yes, it's iPhone season, baby, you know, and it's like we're coveting these things. But we need to caution against coveting. Why? Because what it can do in our hearts. And in James, he goes on and says this, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Do they not come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you don't ask God. You see, you know what coveting does? Coveting thinks that I've got to do this, that it's got to be. I don't need to go to God. I'll just, I'll just get it on my own. So what do we do? We fight. A lot of times if you're in a marriage relationship, you will fight with your spouse over something you're not getting. That's usually where the arguments are, are, are stemming from, something you are not getting. And so you want it. So you fight for it. Instead of fighting with them, you're fighting for it. Instead of saying, hey, do you want this? Well, I kind of want this and working something out. No, you're both fighting for what you both want. It could be the restaurant. It could be quality time. It could be for a new pair of shoes or it could be for anything. And you're fighting for what you're not getting. Well, this happens in every sphere of our life. Why? Because we don't see treasure as a tool to serve. We see it as something we just need to take. And so when we pursue the more, we've got to step back and say, wait a minute, i got to caution my heart against coveting. Because what Nathan is saying is, David, you had a callous heart because coveting will create a callous heart. For a year, David let this thing go. He didn't deal with it. And so now Nathan's got to come to him and say, David, you haven't dealt with this. So God sent me here to get you to deal with this sin, to get you to deal with this covetousness in your life. To get you to look at your life and say, some things are off. I need to fix this. I need to change this. And David didn't want to address it. And sometimes you and I are the same, right? Like, we will let something go for six or seven days, and we get to church, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, I need to deal with that. 
I need to deal with that. I don't know about you, but I was talking to somebody on a mission trip where I don't like any negative emotion, so I'll avoid conversations. And so there's never a good time to confront me. My wife knows. It drives her nuts. She's like, you know, there's never a good time that I can talk to you about something that we just need to work on in our relationship. And it's not that I hate you. I just want to work on this. But whenever I talk to you, if it's in the morning, it's a bad time. If it's in the evening, it's a bad time. If it's on vacation, it's a bad time. We're on vacation. If we're on date night, it's a bad time. So there's never a good time. So she can never win, which creates this frustration. And some of you, you're laughing and smiling because I, I guess you might have some of the same problems. Oh, we got a witness on one of the rows. They're waving. They're saying, yeah, there's never a good time. Why? Because we don't want to deal with the negative emotion. And so we'll just keep pushing it off. What are we really doing? We're creating a callous heart. That's what's happening. Our heart's getting hard. And then because our heart is hard, now we'll push people out. Who knew that finances had so much to do with our relationships? Who knew that these things could just really get at us? Many relationships, if you would deal with managing your money and creating more margin, you would see your marriage, your relationships just get stronger and better. You would. And we're going to talk about this. That's why next week we launch life groups, and we're doing a Dave Ramsey financial planning class. Man, get a part of that, and that will help. It will help you. You're going to want to be a part of this. Practical. It will be helpful. So you say, what if I don't deal with my callous heart? Well, here's what's going to happen. Because coveting will crash your life. David, it crashed his life. His life falls apart. David never fully recovers. You can study Psalms 51 where David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And God forgives David. God restores the joy of his salvation, Psalm 51. But David's life is forever after this marked by a downhill trajectory because he wouldn't deal with coveting. And if you and I won't deal with it, and we're in the Silicon Valley where we're surrounded with this, oh, man, I've got to work harder. I've got to earn more. And it's just the natural culture. We're just pulled towards it, right? So we're going to have to fight it in our own hearts. And we're going to have to say, Lord, help me to deal with coveting. Help me to deal with this. I'm so proud when I hear of people say, you know what? I turned down something so I could spend more time with my family. Or I turned down the fact that, you know what? I could dress like that, but guess what? I would rather take better care of date night and spending time with the people that matter, and, I'm, and I love that, where they're taking their treasure and they're saying, it's a tool to invest into the relationships around them. You say, well, okay, well, how do we conquer coveting then? Well, how do we do that? And that's where I want to spend the rest of our time that we have this morning. How do we conquer it? We say, if, if coveting is such a big deal, well, how do I conquer it? Like, how do I kind of nip this thing in the bud? And I love what David does in verse 13. The Bible says, then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you, and you won't die for your sin. The Lord has forgiven you. You say, well, how do I conquer it this morning? You know, we're speaking about giving more and earning more, and I, and I, I just thought, man, this is such a timely message because we just came back from Panama. And I want to show you something, a little quick video clip, because there's a reason our church flew 4,200 miles away to minister to another country where we did ESL classes where uh, some of the ladies went and worked with a prostitution ministry while the guys went to work in the homeless ministry. We went to an orphanage. There's a reason we went, and I want to give you a snapshot because too often what, what battles covetousness, how do we battle covetousness is counterculture and it's counterintuitive. So let me show you a quick video and then we'll, we'll look. It's, it's, a, it's a roughy iPhone, iPhone video, but you'll see it.
So where we went is we helped two schools that are kind of what you would call maybe inner city schools. And so a lot of these kids are from homes where their mothers work in the prostitution ministry or they're in an abusive relationship. And so we worked at those schools. And part of it that was so challenging was because it created inside of me the one thing that can counteract covetousness, and that's contentment. Being content with what I have. Because these children saw how much we had, and they saw something that I often ignore, and when they saw it, they pointed it out, and all of a sudden, guess what? Then I started to notice it. If you're struggling in your relationship, can I say just start noticing your spouse? You say, what do you mean noticing them? Noticing the little things they do and bragging on them. Noticing, hey, the house is clean. There was dinner on the table. Noticing them. What does that do? It creates contentment in your heart. I... uh, Growing up, always had old beat-up cars, right? Just old cars. You just didn't have money for a new car. But can I tell you something? Whenever I'd wash and wax even the rusty spots and make it clean, I was more proud of my car, and I didn't care that somebody else went by me in a brand-new Mustang. I didn't care that Adam was burning rubber next to me. It didn't matter. Mine was clean, and it was waxed, and it was good to go. Why? Because I had learned contentment. Why? Because I, I noticed what I had. And I think too often we don't notice what God has blessed us with. You say, I want to crash coveting my life. Then learn contentment. Then learn to be content. You say, how do I learn contentment? It's a practice. It's a skill. It's where I start taking inventory of my life and what I have. I came back, and I was like, hey, I have three healthy children. We went to an orphanage where these children were abandoned. Uh, Brenda Rodriguez sat and held for about 20 minutes a one-year-old baby. Her mom was in school, and both of them had been kicked out of the house. There's no parents involved. And Brenda held this one-year-old. This one-year-old baby didn't know what was happening, didn't know that his mom has nobody, that in, as soon as she turns 18, which is in three weeks, that they're both going to be out on the street. That one-year-old had no clue what was about to happen. And Brenda just sat there and held. And all of a sudden, what that created in my heart was like, God, I have so much. I have so much. I went into their kitchen. You can open up the refrigerator. And the government gives them enough money to make it through for the month. You walked into the bedrooms of these kids, and they might have a blanket and a pillow on the bed. No toys. I walked into my kids' rooms, and I have to do this, you know, and I'm stepping over stuff, and then I'm stepping on Legos, and I'm screaming, and I want to curse because I stepped on a Lego because I got toys everywhere. And all of a sudden, what happens is we don't notice what God has given us. My wife and many of the others, they went to the only orphanage in the entire country that works with children with disabilities that are on the autism spectrum that have severe handicaps there's only one there were 17 children there you say why is there only one orphanage because in Panama when a child is born with a deformity they let it die in the hospital the doctors say don't just don't feed it just let it die the parents have abandoned it we don't have a place to put them and all of a sudden it rips your heart out and all of a sudden you step back and say I have three healthy children. I have a home. I got a a roof over my head. These kids are trying to escape from their orphanage, and yet I come back and I complain that, man, I don't have the newest car, the newest phone, the newest iWatch. Wow, God, help me to crash covenant in my life. How do I do that? By learning and cultivating contentment. And you and I cultivate contentment by taking notice of what we have, by saying, God, you've blessed me with a vehicle. It may not be the nicest one. You see, so many times, if you and I would just start and take an inventory of all that we have, we'd feel like we have so much more. 
But too many times we're always looking at what we don't have. And God's like, hey, how about you notice all that you do have? How about you start taking inventory of that? But we just keep on going, and we don't even think about the fact that I've got to be grateful for all the things that God has given me. So I need to do this. I need to grow in gratitude. I need to grow that gratitude spirit. I need to grow that thankfulness. And when you start growing that thankfulness, all of a sudden you're like, whoa, I have so much. I have so much. At any moment, if I wanted to, I could go to a McDonald's or I could go to a Starbucks and I could just buy something if I wanted to. I could go buy a pair of shoes if I wanted to. We were over in Panama and we would walk around and the, the, the host missionary was like, they could never do that. They could never just walk into McDonald's and buy something. You're going to be so gr- proud of the nine that went to this group because we had two translators. The, uh, one was Pablo and one was Charlie, and they were our translators for the week. And they were just, one's 18, the other's 26. And they went with us the entire week. So we wanted to do something nice for them at the end of the week. So we said, hey, let's, let's give them a couple bucks. Well, we put it together, and they each got 110 bucks. And we were like, yeah, that's cool, 110. They were with us literally 24-7 for seven days. They left their families, and they just kind of cruised with us around the whole country. And, man, when we would go in the prostitution ministry, they would translate. We'd go to the hospital ministry because at their hospitals, you can only visit for one hour a day. And if you miss that, guess what? you got to wait till the next day. So they've had people go to the hospital, pass away in the night, and the family didn't know till visiting hours the next day. And there's no waiting room, so they just wait outside the hospital. They're just out there waiting. They'll travel from all over the country. So we would just go around praying with them. And these translators would translate for us what's happening. Everywhere we went, they would translate. So we wanted to give them something. And one of the kids, my wife was filming as he got the card. We wrote out a little card, said thank you, and we put 110 bucks. 110 bucks, it's something. But out here, it's not. Your kids and my kids get that for birthday money. Right? His 18-year-old started to cry as soon as he opened it up. He had never had over $100. He'd never had that much money. And all of a sudden, I was like, Wow, I have so, so much. I'm rich. I'm rich. And so are you. We're talking about more, and God has given us so much. Many of the people never have what you and I have. But what do we do? We use that as an excuse to treat somebody poorly, treat our spouse poorly. We use it as an excuse to change our attitude. And covetousness grows in our heart. We don't cultivate contentment. And so then we start misusing the treasures that God has given to us. And we see it as our treasure and not a tool to use. You see, God is trying to show us how much we have. And he's trying to say, you know what? You have that tool and you can use that tool in a great way. You can make a difference with that. You can steward that in your life. And so this morning, don't let money capture your heart. Understand that God is saying, hey, this is something where I can give you more. And it's exactly what God, through Nathan, told David. I can give you. If you needed more, I can give you much, much more. God can give you the more. But the question is, would you be a good steward of it? Some of us, it's not a money problem. It's a management problem. We don't know how to manage our money. Let's just be honest. I'm that person. I'm bad with my money, so I don't have any money. Just as broke as Panamanian. It's Jane. She has the money. So they come to me. Can I have some? Jane has the money. I don't have any money. I'd spend it. I'd give it away. I'm bad at managing money. And I realize that some of you, and let me just, let me lovingly say this. You don't know how to manage your money. And I'm praying through the Dave Ramsey course that you're going to go to the course and you're going to learn how to manage your money. 
because you're thinking, I have a money problem, and you have a management problem. Some of us, we think we have a money problem, and it's a mindset problem. We have a lot of money. It's a mindset, and we don't see how much we have. And so you think, oh, I got to keep driving, keep pushing harder and harder. Maybe it's contentment. And I know it's kind of, and I love the way Adam spoke out. When it comes to money, immediately the wall kind of goes up, the guard kind of goes up. And let me just lovingly say this, friend. Let me just be as kind and gentle as I can. If you will conquer covetousness in your life, you will see joy and gratitude develop in your life, and your life will change. It'll be a 180. There'll be so much joy and contentment in your life. Many times you'll take a family vacation and you will argue on vacation about money things. And it stresses you out. You say, why? We're spending too much money. What's vacation? Why? Well, you didn't talk about it. And then uh, all these things, bills, pile up. Well, many of our problems are started because of money, because we aren't managing our money well or mindset. We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.